Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate, personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. Our guest today is Mary Louise Burke, who you may recognize as Sue Shelby from the recent and latest final season of Ozark. She's got a ton of of roles on TV and film and across Broadway and off-Broadway. I absolutely love the story we got into when she was telling about when she came to New York in the 70s, right? And... You think about it now, we're so used to social media and YouTube and self-tapes and all the ways that you could be seen. And imagine, I mean, remember if you're of a certain age or imagine if you're not, what it was like in the 70s, 80s, and even in the 90s when you moved to New York and you wanted to be seen. There was no social media. There really was no internet. There were no smartphones. There was nothing that you could do to create a social presence other than just actually going out in the world and creating a social presence so (laughs) she has a a lot of fun stories about that and she didn't actually move though to new york until she was 32 after still being unsure she wanted to pursue a career in acting we are obviously so glad she did before we get started scroll down wherever you're listening now and leave a rating and a review in the app and now everybody please enjoy this episode with mary louise burke this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Today's guest is truly one of my favorite actors I've had the pleasure of watching lately. This drama desk and Obie Award winner has a career spanning decades, and I most recently saw her as the lovely couples therapist Sue Shelby on the fourth and final season of Ozark. She has additional (laughs) TV and film credits, including 30 Rock, The Blacklist, Instinct, Fringe, and dozens more, and was most recently seen on Broadway in True West alongside Paul Dano and Ethan Hawke. She's currently starring as Morkin in the Lincoln Center Theater production of Epiphany, which just blew me away when I saw it a few days ago. Mary Louise Burke, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Well, thank you very much. 
it's so lovely to have you here. I, I, I have to talk about Ozark first because as one of my all-time <laughs> favorite shows in, in general, uh, I was so happy when I realized that you were going to be back in, in the city doing a performance because Sue Shelby, I love I love that character of oh, Sue. Oh, wasn't she wonderful? Right? I just, I just loved, I just loved all her, her little quirks and twists and turns. She was a great little fun. And uh, Laura Linney, of course, has a very strong Broadway theatrical career as well. So I actually I'm actually very curious to know what it was like, um, because I I listen to Smartless and I hear Jason Bateman talking about working with Laura Linney. But for you to be in the same scenes with them for multiple weeks to be able to have someone with this intense TV uh, film career and this intense theater career, was it? Was it different working with the two of them? Did they approach things differently, or was it just like they brought their all and you, you show up and it's magic? I'm trying to think how to answer that. I, because I knew so much of Laura's stage work, you know, I felt sort of like I knew her already, and we share acquaintances and colleagues and stuff like that. Um, but it was um, it was easy to work with both of them. I mean, it just was, you know. Sometimes you could see that Jason was directing at the same time, you know. <laughs> you know, that he, that he was using two parts of his brain at once. But right. he was wonderful. I mean, he, he just never he just never flagged. I, oh, I love it. And and uh, I'm not going to give away anything for anybody who hasn't seen how, how Sue Shelby ends <laughs> up. But I didn't I did not see that coming. Uh, I didn't it, either. <laughs> <laughs> you love Sue. Oh. I love Sue so much. But so so backing up, uh, backing up a couple of years, then little Mary Louise, you were born in Pennsylvania or did you just go to school there? Wait, no, I, I'm mixing that's up my, my hometown. Which when, part of Pennsylvania? Uh, right outside Harrisburg, uh, sort of south central, um, uh, a little town called Steelton. Which was a steel mill town, you yeah. know, Bethlehem Steel, not thriving as much now. Mm-hmm. Uh, things have changed a lot, you know. Well, where, when, when did you decide to really start getting into performing? When was the the moment where you said, "This is what I'm going to do"? Well, that's that's sort of complicated. Because I think that I knew that I wanted to do it from the time I was probably 14. Uh, It was not a usual thing for someone in that environment, you know, to um, to to want to do and and so um, everybody just kind of assumed, including myself, that I would be a teacher. And then I got to college, and uh, I suddenly, I, I suddenly dropped my education major, and switched to a major in English and a minor in philosophy, <laughs> which really prepared me for life. You know, it really two of the most useful degrees. Uh, yeah, do, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And then I went to grad school in English Lit at, uh, at the University of Wisconsin, and, and I had a teaching assistantship there. And I just, I just hated teaching. I re- 
really didn't like to get up and talk in front of people and you know without without a script and and I just didn't I just I was miserable the whole time uh, uh, for the whole semester you know and I thought well you know, I wanted to go through and get the degree, and I did, but I sort of was then a, a kind of over, over-educated woman without a plan. <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately, uh, I had an aunt who had, uh, she had been kind of a, a semi-black sheep of, you know, the the next older generation in my family. She was my father's sister, and uh, she had rebelled and, and and resisted teaching and had kind of taken artsy classes and everything like that. And and then eventually she just became a really gifted Montessori teacher and expert. You know, maybe by her forties, but uh, uh, but but she saw me act in college and thought I had something going for me. So when I came back from Wisconsin with my MFA uh, in English Lit, um, she said, well, you know, if you just want uh, to get a day job or something while you sort things out, why don't you come? Um, to the Philadelphia area where she lived with uh, with her husband and two kids and stay with us. And there's an acting school over in Media, Pennsylvania, Hedgerow. And and she said, and, and you could stay with us and, and, and go over there. So that's what I did. I got a job in Philadelphia and I commuted into the city. And then two nights a week, I drove over into um, this little town and uh, in a theater that happened in an old mill. And um, it was a lovely little place. But I was sort of, you know, two nights a week and, you know, studying the seagull on the commuter train into the city (laughs) (laughs) where I was working a day job, you know. And and I did a couple of plays over there at that theater, the first of which was taste of honey. What a beautiful place to start getting serious about acting. I mean, that, uh, you know, that role, sort of like a young character actor's Mm -hmm. role, right, you know? And then eventually, after all sorts of false starts here and there, you know, little dead ends, including a marriage, uh, (laughs) I, 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 um, Eventually, I just, I, I, I got up the guts to move to New York. It, this sounds like a joke, but I tru- it's the truth. I came here to have more opportunities to act for free. You know, because, right. because I, I wanted it so much, but I just didn't, I couldn't put it together in my psyche yet about, uh, honoring, truly respecting the calling to be an actress. And so I knocked around downtown for a long time. And uh, I, I didn't move to New York till I was 32. Right. And uh, But it was 1973, which was a great time to come to New York. I mean, because there were all these little theaters where you could act for free. <laughs> 
And, and um, you know, exciting things going on. I mean, that turned out to be my taste. I mean, most of my work has been with contemporary playwrights, and mm -hmm. I find that exciting. Uh, when I got to New York, the first person I, I took a, a class with was Kevin O'Connor, and who had originated a lot of the Shepherd plays and and um, and and was very active, you know, in uh, um, in that circle of new playwrights. And I think that was that was very influential. It it, it suited me. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Do you remember the kind of the turning point? I mean, because you were saying like you didn't take it seriously. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. So you were, you know, you wanted to do it, but you were afraid to commit to it. And so you finally moved to New York, still aren't sure what to do to do more. You were doing more free theater. But do you remember the turning point when you were like, oh, wait, this is this is a paycheck, and I'm a professional actor now. Now I need to take this seriously. What, did that happen? Like, is there a turning point when that happened, or was it just kind of gradual? I think it was gradual, actually. I don't think there was an aha moment, or I don't know what it's like now. But to to really get a start for a career in it, you really kind of needed to be seen by casting directors or casting people. And I was doing a lot of stuff downtown and a lot of regional theater, which was just wonderful. I loved, I, I loved that. But, um, but then finally my agent at the time said, I think we need to keep you in town now. And that's when I did Fuddy Mears by David Lindsay Bear. Hmm. Manhattan Theater Club, mm -hmm. and so that was that was like a break for me because a lot of people saw it. It was, you know, it was in the uh, official Off Broadway. Yeah, I mean this this is before before the ability to self tape, long before the long before oh, social, yes, yes. long before social media. Oh like, yeah. Now now I know like during the pandemic, I was talking to people and they were getting cast and casting through social media through youtube through the internet and i forget about this sometimes because you know obviously we're, we're we live in the present and there's recency bias but there are people who who long existed before any of the most recent bullshit from all of everything <laughs> yes, everything right. that social media introduces right and i can imagine how much hard well i was gonna say do you think it's made it harder or easier because now, well, I guess, I, hmm, what am I trying to say here? Like, before, you had to work your ass off and be seen, like you were saying, and do lots of free stuff so you could finally get that one thing that, you know, a lot of people can see. Right, and yeah. So was that harder or do you think easier than it would be for kids starting out now or even adults starting out now trying to do the same path? I... I don't know. I really don't know. However, uh, uh, people do things like TikTok or whatever and, and suddenly have a career or they they do, they're more creative, I think, about getting themselves out there and, mm -hmm. and discovering themselves as artists and they'll just do that. I, I wouldn't know how to advise anybody today. In fact, a couple of young men stopped me outside the theater last week and 
and and they said, well, you know, how could I get to go on stage here in this theater? And who knows? I don't know. I didn't know what to tell them. You know, uh, I think, uh, you know, I also, I didn't go to a training program as such. So, you know, if you go to one of the major training programs, you kind of have an entree. Right. The showcases and whatnot. Yeah, they're showcased, and and I think you you have a more of a network, uh, a professional network that you're uh, going into the world with. So when did the when did the TV and film start to to pile onto your life? Because that's that's a whole completely different avenue that well, I think in New York, in New York in the seventies and eighties, there was very little TV and film in uh, in the city. Right. My first movie was a movie called Angie, starring Gina Davis, <laughs> that shot in L.A. And I can't remember who cast it, but I, I think this was, um, that was in 1993. Um, Sideways, of course, was my big intro, uh, as far as film goes. I played Paul Giamatti's mom. Do you like one medium over the other? I mean, people people keep coming back to this to theater because, it, it, well, I was I won't answer for you, but I was going to say that people, even though they're on TV and film, Laura Linney is a perfect example. Again, no matter how much success you have, if you have a foundation, if you started in theater, you can't quit it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like them. I like them all. You know, but they are really different. One cool thing that has happened uh, lately, as far as TV goes with me, is I've gotten some recurring work in series that are often kind of kooky, or the role is kind of kooky, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Longmire. Have you ever seen Logmire? I, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. Uh, I really think I, I started to put it together. And I think that a writer whom I hadn't worked with, but some of my friends had, uh, and who had worked at Rattlestick, mm-hmm. was one of the writers, was in the writer's room in that show. And I think that's how I got to audition uh, for oh my god that it was really a wildly wonderful role it was really um, playing Mary Wiseman's mother <laughs> and I think that as more writers do split their focus mm-hmm. or decide they want to earn some bigger money for a while you know they value what some of us kooky theater people can bring to the table you know there's nothing like it I, and there there are uh, uh, inherent qualities that a, a seasoned theater actor can bring to to a character when when they're forced to be small right because yeah, theater, yeah. you got to be big and then like you you can do the exact same mannerisms on stage or in front of a camera and in front of a camera it's going to be a completely different uh, visualization and yeah. plus it depends on the lighting and the directing and the editing and and all the other things that you know that you don't have the final control over what or how you are seen on tv right, or film ultimately right. right i i really enjoy watching watching these big theater actors like try to contain contain themselves on camera because there's so much there's so much energy that, th- that they're 
you know, they're having to force it down into this tiny little pinpoint of a of a moment, right? And put it on cameras. Uh-huh. You're like, hit your mark. You can't move three inches forward because you're then out of focus. And like, I don't know, the way that, that actors can, in, can <laughs> uh, interpret that um, and the way they, they, I guess, materialize that is always just so fascinating to watch. I really, really love it when, of course, Broadway... The Broadway actors in general get, go bigger for the big money, of course, on TV and film. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I had a recurring role on Blacklist, and that was uh, that was wonderful working with James Spader, you know, and she was off the wall. And I was actually working on New Amsterdam when the pandemic began. I actually had my call time for the next day, and... They called and said they were closing down the set because of COVID. Temporarily, was, of course. Yeah, for about four. For, for, for a couple of days, because COVID is no. only going to be around for a couple of days. Oh, right. I'm yeah. Being, I'm being yeah. sarcastic. Yeah. Right. And two years later. Yeah. yeah two years later, here we are. And that was really funny because I was playing a, a, a lady who was in um, hospice, and, and I had to learn one of those. Uh, to get myself around in one of those electric, you know, scooter things. Mm-hmm. And I was really a menace to society in that thing. <laughs> I, I, I am, I, I, I don't know, you know, when I see people like out on the streets or in stores who use them, I just have so much respect. I mean, it's like, I mean, like I was a good driver of a car. I could not master that thing. I mean, I'd crash into walls and, you know, they would learn to run behind some furniture if I was comfortable. <laughs> they, uh, they stopped for, I don't know, maybe a year, year, I don't, and they, they came back again. And I got a lovely letter, email from them saying, um, we made the choice not to deal with the pandemic in the show because people have all been living through it and everything. And so the new season is going to start a year later. And since you were in hospice <laughs> the year before, Your we just didn't think, you know, we just didn't think we could stretch the facts, the Aww. medical facts enough to do it. But uh, anyway, that was that was nice that they they at least gave you that letter. Otherwise, oh, they're just yes. like, all right, well, you don't you don't get called anymore. And then you're like, hello, is anybody? Right. Hello, don't forget about me. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk about okay. Epiphany because yes. this this production. God, I don't even know where to start with this. It is it is. I walked out of there thinking about my own mortality, my own choices. The person that I that I saw it with, we had this great conversation about family and tradition and death after the after this. But I say all this, but it's funny. Like the whole thing, you are funny, and it is a wonderful <laughs> production. And so when when you are, uh, I guess when you first auditioned for it, did you have sort of the full grasp of what the production would become, or were you just like, here's a couple sides going and just be a kooky lady you know i i actually didn't audition as such i did a reading of it Mm. uh uh, an unrehearsed reading of it but they ended up asking me to do it and um i i was very happy because it was 
It was one of those things that it, it's just a role that I just connected with right away. And with um, the way he wrote her, mm-hmm. you know, the way she looks at things, that she, the way she processes things and everything. It's just uh, getting the character was not hard for me. You know, I, I I felt simpatico with that writing mm-hmm. and, and the style that he wrote her in. And yeah. And um, and so I, I'm just feeling really fortunate to be able to to do it now. It's a, it's a workout. It is because I, I was just two days over COVID when I, we started rehearsal. So no kidding. I was dragging, you know, it's very because, you know, I'm not I. I graduated from high school in 1958, so do the math, you know. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's an adventure, isn't it? And 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 the comedy in it, the the way um, this dinner party works, and the way people connect, and the way they don't, and everything, I I think just is so involving, and to play it is so rewarding i mean this company is remarkable the company is phenomenal oh it's phenomenal yeah and then you get that set and that lighting you know and and um you get to have snowfall that's what i was gonna say i mean i love i love when it's when there's you know weather inside in a a production and the whole production it's snow falling and it is beautiful did you did you ever you and the cast ever have the opportunity to sit in the house and like watch a cue to cue or something and see everything in its full glory have you been able to sit back and see the big picture of the set yet i haven't because she's too busy my character is just too busy. She's Gosh. a part. She's yeah. a part of of so much of it, you know. But um, when I'm waiting up there, you know, because I when yeah, I enter yeah. the first time, it's, it's down the stairs. And um, when I'm waiting up there and looking out, and um, you know, there's that, you know, that that kind of edgy. Yeah. Rum, rumble and everything, and then the darkness, and then that snow, you know, the snow starts coming down. I, I just, I just get chills every night. I just get, I just get so thrilled. Well, as an um, audience member, I got to tell you, it is beautiful. Like the the craftsmanship on the staircase, and then accentuated by the lighting and the snow falling, and I, I, I didn't know, like when you start, like you were saying, the sound design is incredible in and of itself because i didn't know like what am i in for is this going to be a supernatural play is this I do, be yes, a yes. play is it like i i didn't know what it was and it it kind of wrapped it all together but it like the character the set is a character in and of itself and it's just absolutely beautiful it's really beautiful yeah yeah it's funny because i had a fall two years ago, and I broke, I, I fell, I tripped over a pothole on my street, and I fell forward and shattered both wrists and my left kneecap. And uh, so they did both surgeries at the same time to avoid keeping you under anesthetic for too long. Uh, I was so fortunate, I mean, I've recovered so well, but um, when we were talking about doing that, the play uh, when that agent 
called about it, saying he had been called. Um, I, I, he said, now, do you think you're going to be able to do this, you know, because there are these stairs and everything? I said, that's the only thing I need to know. Are the stairs going to be normal stairs? My experience in downtown, <laughs> uh, as you know, you never know when uh, a designer is going to say, well, because there's this absurd twist, we're, we're going to make the stairs absurd, too. So, you know, I mean, I've had to navigate some dangerous surfaces in my time, and I just knew it wouldn't be, be possible if it was going to be some wacky staircase you know and they said oh she doesn't have to worry about that and i tell you that uh, that thing feels better than the subway stairs i mean it it, it just uh, i i just love johnny baby <laughs> i just love it you know i feel so comfortable on them and very humane well what do you hope people re- either reflect on or take away after they see epiphany i I don't, I don't think I can put that into words. I hope that they have had an experience with it that matters to them. You know, like you said, when you, know, you went away and you were thinking about this, you're talking about this with friends, and sometimes when that final moment comes and the lights go out at the very end of the play, you, you can hear people in the audience, you could hear someone go, oh, <laughs> or wow, wow, you know, so people that are sitting yeah. nearby, yeah. And, and that's because they have gone on that journey, you know, they have, they have had, they've had the laughs, they've had some serious chat. They've had some, I don't know, they've, they've been through a very interesting theatrical journey. That's what is exciting to me, you know, because... Oh, I wasn't looking for a single message, but you answered it, you answered it perfectly because it's, it's left intentionally vague, I believe, to let people interpret it exactly as you, as you were saying, is like, it, it's just to reflect, is to have a discussion and think about what it means to them to have tradition, to stick with family, to have a friend circle, to uh, evaluate uh, death or or lack thereof, right? Like, right. I, the, everybody's going to have a different experience with it. Yes. <laughs> so let me let me wrap up the interview with okay. three cl- three closing questions that I ask everyone. Uh-oh, the uh-oh. first one, oh, they're easy. Well, the last one's super hard, but we'll get there. Okay, the first one, just very easily, is what motivates you? The joy of doing it. <laughs> just, the, you know, the joy of doing it mm-hmm. to find, uh, you know, when you find a simpatico script and it's the joy. All right. Then the uh, next question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people starting out now on a similar path? Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, get to New York. So it takes another 15, 20 years after that. Go, you know. (laughs) Okay. So here's the final question. This is the hard one. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you say? Oh, my gosh. I don't know what to say. I, I, I just don't. 
<laughs> well, I'm then, sorry. Then you should say Epiphany with Mary Louise Burke because. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we'll, yeah, we'll end with that. Epiphany is playing at Lincoln Center Theater through July 24th. So get your tickets now and go down and see this amazing, amazing <laughs> play. Mary Louise, thank you so, so much for doing this. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure to leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. Find me on Instagram and Twitter. Slip into my DMs. Let me know you're listening. Thanks to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. Bye. Take a deep breath. Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.